Bet365 sponsors our podcast and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. Bet365 offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers with over 45 million members. It's the world's favourite online betting company. And with the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more and create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Life, feature. You can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Jordan, you're a great professional. Well, tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! Cheers. Welcome to the Red Agenda. So, an incredible season opener. The Premier League champions inspired by an outstanding Mo Salah. And Jurgen, well, he wasn't wrong when he said they were going to attack the title, was he? Some defensive concerns to be addressed as well. We'll talk through that and much more with James Pierce and Simon Hughes. Let's start with uh, Simon. We've not heard from you from a couple of weeks. Um, not exactly a straightforward start to the, the campaign, but some thrills and spills in it. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a great result for Liverpool, to be honest. I know, you know, there's a bit of despondency about uh, the defensive performance, but I mean, I, I think you ultimately want to start the season with a, with a victory, and that's the only thing that matters. Uh, thought there were lots of lots of good elements of the game, certainly going forward. I mean, you mentioned Salah there played like a you know a, the world class player that he is. I think he just remind you know just when just when you need somebody to step forward. Uh, and remind of his abilities. He, he, he really, I just thought he was outstanding right throughout the game. You know, aside from his his penalties, um, you know, Leeds obviously I thought thought were, were brilliant at getting men into the box and put Liverpool under lots of pressure when he did go forward. But you know, it, it sort of it reminded me a little bit of of the start of last season. I mean, people might disagree, and I can understand why because obviously Liverpool beat Norwich four one, but. You do forget, like Liverpool on that night when they played Norwich. Not Norwich created a lot of chances, um, and and with a bit more composure, could have could have scored a few goals in the first half. And I just think, obviously, Leeds are a stronger team. You know, they got they got better players, but they, 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 they still created similar sorts of chances. But obviously, Leeds put them away. So. I think it's always the same when Liverpool start the season. I think you know that the way Liverpool play, they, they sort of need that rhythm, don't they, to, to really find, to really find the form. And you know that every season under Klopp, it's been pretty similar from from the start. They, they sort of, you know, there's been a bit of chaos in, in a lot of the games. You know, what, think back to, to the Watford game, think back to the Arsenal game when they won there. Um, you know, there's there's always an element of, of excitement in those opening opening day victories that Liverpool have had. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand, you know, people talking about the transfers that haven't happened and everything else, but I don't really think that was connected to the performance, to, to be honest. I just think defensively Liverpool looked like a team that that hadn't spent the whole week together. It, it, was, it, it felt like, you know, a, a bit like those, those sorts of post-international games where there's always a bit of chaos um, in, in the performance. Well, let's focus on the man who is to be celebrated, and that's that's Mo Salah. So last season ended on 19 goals, James. What, what did this display 
sort of say about his mindset, his intentions for, for the coming season? It puts an early marker down. Yeah, and it was, you know, it, what made it even more pleasing to see from from my point of view was that I was actually a little bit worried about Salah going into the season because certainly in the in the warm-up games, he, he had genuinely struggled and you, you thought, you know, th- things maybe didn't look quite right with him. But um, yeah, that was quite an emphatic way to, to put all of that talk to bed. Um, I mean, he was just head and shoulders above anyone else on the pitch. I thought, you know, it, it, it wasn't just his goals. It was everything about his all-round play and... You know the way that he linked link play, and he was just an absolute menace, wasn't he? In terms of occupying defenders, and you know, you know, never gave Leeds's backline a, a moment's peace, and um, yeah, it really whets your appetite for what he could go on to a to achieve this season. Um, you know, I think I think he is under underappreciated. You know, not by Liverpool fans in general, but I think by you know across football in general because. He he is you know an absolute you know in that top four or five players on the planet for me, um, and you know probably the worst one season wonder we've ever seen with the the ridiculous consistency he's produced in a Liverpool shirt. So um, yeah, no doubt about it. Mo Salah was um, you know the, the the massive positive to take away from a a pretty chaotic opening day win. Sai, I, th- I think he's got to be considered an all-time great for the club. I mean, if you, I've looked at some of his stats. 97 goals and 154 appearances. 50 goals at Anfield now. In fact, he scored a goal or created a goal every 85 minutes. And he's won trophies as well to back it up. He's got to be considered an all-time great, hasn't he? I think so, yeah. I think so. I mean, you know, the records that he set from season one. I mean, I, th- I think obviously a lot of people... So to judge him by those standards, which is perhaps a, a bit unfair because, you know, his first team was just outrageous, wasn't it? You know, it was, it was insane what he, what he did that first season. But it's not like, you know, the, the subsequent seasons that he, he hasn't he hasn't done well. I mean, he's been hitting 20, 25 goals each season and possibly a few more the season before last. So, you know, it's not like he, he's, he's not having an effect on games. He, he's really impacting games. He's, he's been the match winner on numerous occasions. He's obviously the match winner on Saturday. I mean, I, I just think, you know, he gets me, he gets me on my feet, you know, when, when, um, when I watch him play. I think he's superb footballer. I think his tactical appreciation and his, his work rate has become better. His, his game's evolved over the last, uh, over the last couple of seasons. You know, he knows, really knows how to use his body and, to affect the game and yeah for, for me I mean I, I, I didn't I wrote about this a few weeks ago and I think people some people got the wrong end of the stick maybe it sounded a bit too critical in the piece but I I, I, I feel that I can't really think of, of too many players who play in his position I mean let's just say he's a right winger for the benefit of ease of arguments you know there aren't many players who, in the last thirty years, that I can think of who've matched his standards, and even before, who, who would be the best right winger in Liverpool's history? There's, there's, there's obviously a few names there, but who, who have done what he's done? There's very, few, very few of anybody who's been able to, to hit those heights. So he's right up there for me as, 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 a, as a club great in terms of not just the, the performances that he's delivered, but the, the, the goals that he's scored and, and the trophies that he's won. You know, he, he mentioned 
the other day, didn't he? After the final whistle about you know the pressure of a penalty, you know he scored a penalty and penalty, you know in in the Champions League final as well. You know massive goal. I get get probably gets forgotten a little bit because you know Divock Origi scored in the last couple of minutes, but and there was such a big length of time between his his opening goal and the first minute. But you know he's 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 been a major player for Liverpool, a major major part of why they are where they are at the moment. And I just think maybe it's a touch of the. You know, it's still a bit of a hangover from the fact that he didn't do it at Chelsea first time round, and people sort of think, well, maybe he's just not quite as good as, you know, he's not the sort of the, the wonder kids or the, the the sort of the the the, the younger superstar that the people want to see. His, his sort of maturity, his his game, his his heights have been hit at the you know, sort of his late twenties rather than his early twenties, and I wonder whether that plays into people's consciousness still a little bit when that they're, they're assessing just just what a great player it is. But for me he's, he's one of the one of the best I've seen you know in that position in that area of the pitch you know over the last certainly the last 30 years uh, I can't speak of the players before maybe maybe the other people who better positioned but yeah wonderful player I think I mean it's consistency's different class you both mentioned it there goals per game works out at 0.64 per game in the Premier that, that's better than uh, Alan Shearer it's better than Jamie Vardy better than Andy Cole so where's this sort of slight lack of appreciation coming from James because it, it looks like he could possibly do it for a fourth season running he set such ridiculous standards in that first season that it's almost like I think he maybe subconsciously with some people it's like well he He's not. He's not got back to what to where he was then. Even though it was, you know, ludicrous to expect him to, to to score forty four goals again. You know, I I think he gets fired up though by that kind of thing. I think you know, I I think you know, last season, mm. what, what was that? The first time he hasn't won the golden boot since he's since he's been at Liverpool. You know, he he wasn't included, was he, in the PFA Team of the Year that came out? I think it was last week. So I, I wouldn't surprise me if little things like that contributed to what we saw on the. Um, on the weekend, he he saved that opening day really because with without him performing at such a ridiculously high level, you know Liverpool just didn't carry enough threat. I didn't think from other areas. Sadio Mane was pretty quiet. Firmino, you know, was was very erratic. You know, made made some some pretty basic errors and and wasted one one glorious chance to to put the game to bed. So um, yeah, it was. Um, you know, when down below me on Saturday evening, he was he was walking around the pitch afterwards, having done his media commitments with the ball tucked under his arm. And um, you know, I think that there should have been a few thank yous rather than congratulatory messages on that match ball because uh, you know he, he spared the blushes of of a number of his teammates on Saturday night. First opening day hat trick since uh, since Aldo did it against. Um... Charlton and and I actually spoke to him after the game and he said yeah but mine was right foot left foot and a header uh, so, so John Aldridge still perceiving this was a better one Aldo always does a better doesn't he <laughs> you got to love him for that um, brilliant for, from Mo Salah and um, what struck me was for a side that spends so much time pressing the opposition sign working in and around the opposition penalty area Liverpool didn't get many penalties last season, no, did they? No. And yet, yet two on the opening day. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe I shouldn't ramble on too much about the glorious platform that's Twitter, but straight away, you know, Liverpool getting lucky penalties and this, that and the other. You know, particularly a lot of sort of Man United fans talking about it. I was thinking, how many pens did United get last season? You know, they never won the league. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it's surprising really when you think, you know, that Liverpool's attack is is three prongs and quite often 
you know, they're dribbling inside the box trying to get, you know, trying to get a shot away that they don't get brought down more often. I mean, uh, this has gone on for quite a while now. I remember a few seasons ago when the, the season, I think it finished, I'm trying to remember what season it is. They seem to blur into one at the moment. But when they played Brighton, the, the, the last game of the season, I think it was 2017-18, if I'm right in saying. And um, they should have had three penalties in that game. In the, Shane Duffy just keep, kept on fouling Salah. And the referee, I think eventually, maybe maybe he gave one. But it, it's... Um, it is odd that Liverpool have had not, haven't had more penalties. I mean, that, that's another thing that Salah's added to his game as well. I don't think when he came to Liverpool, he was considered a penalty taker. I can't remember exactly, but uh, uh, the number of penalties that he'd taken in his career quite low. And it's, it's a thing that he's added to his game. And, you know, he's clinical, isn't he? I mean, each of his penalties on, on Saturday were, were dispatched perfectly, I thought. And, you know, he's... Yeah, just just another part of his game. I think that he's evolved and 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 improved on over, over the last couple of seasons. Uh, it's the Athletic, and of course, it's the Red Agenda. And right now, we're offering listeners uh, a special offer to subscribe to the Athletic. You can access all of James and Simon's writing on Liverpool and so much more for just one pound a month. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool Pod if you want to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool Pod, and pay only one pound. Per month uh, now, James, the um, the assist competition between Andy Robertson and Trent is up and running again. Uh, are you expecting they're going to punish teams to exactly the same extent this season? Well, it certainly doesn't look like there's going to be much let up from them. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I mean they're they're, they're just absolutely integral, aren't they, to the way that the, the Liverpool operate, the way that they go about trying to hurt teams. Um, you know, probably neither of them had their their best day defensively. I think um, you know, I think Klopp. I think Klopp had a point when he said about you know it, the preparation hadn't been hadn't been ideal. I think they only they only all got back together at Melwood on the on the Wednesday. So um, you know and then all four of that back line had had been playing international football earlier on in the week. Um, but yeah, they, we still saw the, the the quality of you know especially the set piece deliveries. Um, you know very very difficult to, to defend when. When you've got two fullbacks who can who, who can produce um, quality into the box like that, so um, so yeah, up and running obviously already, and uh, it's you know I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how how Liverpool evolve as a team this season because one of the things that Klopp has been very very big on during his time at Liverpool has been you know adding new strings to their their bow and um, making sure that they do have an element of surprise when they when they play against teams, so. Um, you know, I think uh, you know that that's going to be interesting this season. Whether are, are Liverpool going to be you know as reliant on the fullbacks, or are we going to see them you know attack from different areas at times? But um, yeah, certainly they're still going to be absolutely key to what this team try and uh, try and go on to achieve. Yeah, defensively there were there were some issues, weren't there, Sian? Liverpool Liverpool can't really hand those sorts of opportunities to other sides. It might, it might punish them to a, a greater extent than Leeds actually did. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the, the mistake from Van Dijk was uh, just too casual, wasn't it? I think Jamie Carragher described it as arrogance, which you know it was it was quite unlike to Van Dijk. I know, I know he, he sort of he can play football, but you know to be sort of isolated one on one with a striker desperate to score and, and, and try and sort of try that flick I thought was un- uncharacteristic um, but I mean I, I suppose that the main concern wasn't the individual errors it was it, it felt like that the defence wasn't quite structured and, and organised in the way it normally would be but 
I also think you've got to give credit to Leeds because they 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 made Liverpool's defence have to think about things that they probably haven't had to think about for a long time. You know that it's been said elsewhere that you know they they got a lot of players into the box, which means that you know. I think I think the the third goal that Leeds scored there, was, there were four Leeds players in the box to Liverpool's two, which you just don't see at Anfield at all. You know, not even in away games because of the threat that Liverpool have got going forward. So Leeds tried to match Liverpool. You know, very similar. Liverpool get players in the box all the time, and you know, there's a minimum of three with the strikers, and then you're hoping you know that that one or two of the midfielders are going to get forward as well. So it was very very similar approaches, and I, th- I think that Leeds were were uh, rewarded for the, the the courage that they showed and were very clinical as well as I said I think they only had um, just looking at the, the, the figures there I think they had three shots on target that they had on, on Saturday which and each one went in you know which that, that's not luck that's just being clinical and, and taking the chances that come your way and I think you've got to give credit to Leeds but I do think that you know that the, the line that Liverpool were playing the high line you know, very similar again to last season. I think I remember at the start of the season we had conversations about why Liverpool playing such a high line, um, and it made them look vulnerable at times because there's obviously a lot of space to play. And if you get that that pass right into the channels, and it felt like Liverpool were going backwards a lot. I, I felt particularly in the first half, you know, facing their own goal, which you know no defender wants to do, and always makes the defence look vulnerable. Whoever is in that defence, so a mixture of the two things really. But it's definitely something that Liverpool need to improve on because. You know what Premier League managers are like that, that if he sees any sort of sense of weakness they'll they'll try and capitalise on it themselves. But whether Liverpool will play collectively as as sort of as I guess casually as, as they did you know against Leeds again, I, I can't imagine, you know, the, the the sort of the mentality of the players allowing that to happen. So for me it's not something to be desperately worried about, but it is just something that you they do need to improve on. I thought it was notable Fabinho didn't start the game. Maybe Liverpool are slightly more vulnerable when he's not there to to shield. I can't remember seeing a team visit Anfield and dominate possession, though, James. That that's a remarkable stat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I can't think really. Certainly, a, certainly a, a team that's just come up from the Championship to to come to Anfield and and to be as as fearless and as bold and ambitious as that. Um, and and I think they genuinely rattled Liverpool. I think. Um, you know, certainly Liverpool's back line are not used to teams coming and, and putting them under that kind of pressure. You know, we're so used to teams coming and, and, and setting up to, to frustrate and to thwart Liverpool and, and happy to for Liverpool to have 65, 70% of the ball. So they, they certainly leads, you know, succeeded in knocking Liverpool out of their stride. I think, you know, there was, there, there, you know, the all, all three goals were, were horrendous, you know, as well as as well as Leeds played, you know, you'd have to say that, you know, all three really should have been avoided. I know Klopp wasn't happy with the positioning of the fullbacks um, in, in the first goal. He you know, felt they would they would they dropped too deep, and then you know, really caught out by quite a simple you know diagonal pass that um, I think it was Phillips who lofted it for for Harrison, and yeah, it was a, you know he took it brilliantly, Harrison. But again, you'd have to say he got away from Alexander Arnold and then from Gomez. Far, far too easily, um, and you know, and similar with the second one. Although it's a, you know, it's an awful mistake from Van Dijk in the end. But you know, Leeds were allowed to build play from the back, pretty much unchallenged. And you know, I think you know, Klopp wasn't happy with the, the the collective pressing in terms of Liverpool didn't hunt well enough in packs. It was it was just too easy for for Leeds. And then you know, the third one, you know, it actually comes from a Liverpool throw in, which um, 
I don't think Thomas Gronemark will be too happy when he uh, when he when he <laughs> watches that one back because I think it was Trent Trent who gives it away. But again, you know, it's still so far from goal. It shouldn't really have been that much of a, a dangerous situation. But you know, Leeds were slick and inventive with their build-up play, and I think it was Wijnaldum and, and Curtis Jones who, to be fair to him, had only just been on the pitch a few seconds. Who neither of them tracked the runner and um, and, and Klitsch took it brilliantly. So. Um, yeah, Liverpool were were for me, you know, worryingly open. Um, and I, I don't think it was just. I think it was a mixture of you know lapses in concentration, silly errors, but also they, they weren't good enough off the ball. I didn't think you know right from Firmino right right the way to the back line. Red Agenda podcast brought to you by Hims. If you haven't heard of them, they're basically your best mate when it comes to those tricky men's health problems. Balding, it's an awkward topic for men, uh, yet loads of us start to lose our hair before we hit 40. The best way to take control of hair loss, do something about it while you've still got some. Hims was created to make it easier for guys to seek care, especially men who avoid seeing their doctor in person for awkward health conversations. Not everyone wants to have a personal face-to-face conversation with a doctor. So Hims connects you to real doctors online and it could save you hours completely confidential and discreet. You get a proper consultation. They'll give you sound advice on what you can do to help your hair before it's too late. Couldn't be easier. But your free consultation, just go to forhims.co.uk forward slash athletic. That's forhims.co.uk forward slash athletic. This is The Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hothersall. We've got James Pierce and uh, Simon Hughes. Let's let's talk again on possibility of a back-to-back title. We got some thoughts from James last week on this one. It'd be interesting to hear what, what Simon thinks. Winning a title's tough in us, but retaining it is incredibly hard. And that's been shown by how few teams have managed to emulate their success. Um, the title win last season was built on an incredible defence, being so solid they could grind out performances and, and points side. What, what's the reality of a back-to-back title success? Well, I think, obviously, Manchester City are the only club in the last sort of 10, 12 years to have managed to achieve it. And of course, it's, I mean, it's quite... Obviously, Liverpool didn't win the title two seasons ago, but they, they were only within one point of the title. So they've they've obviously gone the distance, more or less, you know, till the final game of the season for the last, uh, well... Well, for for one season, and then obviously won it the second season. So, you know, they used to be, you know, in in that position late on in the season. Now, uh, crude a huge number of points across that period. I'd be interested to see actually how how many how many points Liverpool have, have accrued compared to to teams that have done something similar but not gone quite as far. You know, uh, over over the last few years, I'd imagine Liverpool are probably higher higher than most. But um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this 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 is where I guess sort of the, the transfer conversation starts up because um, you know you'd expect Liverpool to be you know sort of right up there, but it, it's 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 how other teams have improved and how many points they're going to be able to take off Liverpool. I, I can't see the the title being won by the margin it was won last season. I can't see the number of points being as high as it has been for the last two seasons. Uh, because you know there, there are teams who are chasing Liverpool who, who have improved who are going to give them a tougher time. I think we saw. I mean, I'm not saying Everton are going to be in for the title, but I think you know they're going to be a lot, a lot stronger on on the evidence yesterday. Um, obviously, Chelsea. There should be an expectation, really, given the amount of money that they've spent, that they're going to be you know right up there as well. The conversation around Man City is a bit of a, a funny one because you know they've obviously lost David Silva, who's who's 
probably one of the best players that they've ever had. I know they've replaced him with Ferran Torres, who, who people talk about highly, but it still is, you know, a debut campaign for him in the Premier League. And they've signed Nathan Ake in a position that they're already particularly strong in. So, you know, I, I don't think Manchester City sort of position has improved as dramatically as maybe sort of the predictions tables suggest. I noticed in the on the BBC the other day that most of the pundits are saying that City have got a you know the best chance of winning it. But I think that they've obviously lost something with, with David Silva going and perhaps still looking for that that dominant centre half that that, that that has has cost them certainly last season um you know not having Vincent Company around. So I think it is, it's going to be harder, but I just think that there's a bit of despondency around Liverpool at the moment, which I find, I've got to be honest, I do find it uh, quite confusing, really, because, you know, they, 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 they only crowned champions a few weeks ago, and sorry, a few months ago now. You know, the record's been incredible, you know, over the last couple of seasons. I don't see a massive drop-off because of the mentality of the players. I think, you know, the players have got themselves into that position. Not all, you know, obviously, they're all talented players with lots of ability, but I'd say that the, the sort of the mental strengths and the, the focus is is probably superior to, to other, other clubs, I think, to be able to go from... Uh, to go from missing out on the title so narrowly to then go and winning it so resoundingly. I think that says a lot about the mentality of the players and I don't think that's necessarily going to go away. I, I, I was listening to Trent on Football Focus the other day and I thought he spoke really, really well. It was a fantastic interview where, you know, he was saying, you know, that we want to be that team that that goes on and, 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 and has, you know, a few good, really good years. It doesn't want to be just one season where Liverpool win the title and then fall away. And the way he spoke about it, uh, I was convinced that, you know, he really meant it. I know all players say that. So, yeah, I mean, I, you would expect Liverpool to be, definitely to be in, in, the, in the top two or three, along with, with City and Chelsea for me this season, the, the two teams that are going are gonna to challenge them the most. And I think Manchester United, you'd expect them to be better as well. But I still feel that they're probably a centre-half short of, of being where Liverpool are at because although they spent a huge amount of money on Harry Maguire, I still don't think he's he's emerged as that dominant centre-half that they need to go and win it. I think, I think it'd be interesting to see what what happens with Koulibaly. I think if he goes to one of the two Manchester clubs, I think it'll certainly elevate their chances of, of getting getting closer to Liverpool and perhaps overtaking them. But we're still hoping Liverpool are going to get in the transfer market themselves. And if um, if Liverpool sign Thiago, I think it's going to be very difficult for other teams as well. I mean, I know James has written an article where he probably want to speak about it, but you know, the need for a centre-half and, and, and possibly a forward as well. But I, I don't know, a lot, a lot of Liverpool sometimes feels like the success and failure is dictated by the moods around the club sometimes as well. October the 5th is the close date for, for the window. Um I've seen an interview with a former Bayern president, Uli Honus, who's accused Liverpool and United of, of attempting, I suppose in his words, to blackmail Bayern over Thiago, saying that perhaps these English clubs are waiting until the final week of the window to make a, a cheaper offer, James. It, is there any assumption that business will be done later in the window? Yeah, yeah but I don't think that's Liverpool playing games. I think it's that's just the financial reality of, of the situation that the, the the club is in, you know, I think I think we we spoke about it last week that Liverpool would have expected by now to have generated more than they have done from from sales. You know, with people like Harry Wilson and Marco Gruich and you know Zerdan Shakiri, you know Loris Karius, Yasser Larucci, players like this. Is is Brewster a player for sale? Well, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't chuck him in that category. With, with those other names because I think his his situation is different I think I think with Brewster um you know clearly clearly they've they've been absolutely inundated with with clubs 
registering interest in terms of taking him on loan. Um, you know, then it emerged last week that that clubs had been had been informed that Liverpool wouldn't completely rule out a permanent sale. But I think you know the the way I understand it is is Liverpool would be looking for something in the region at twenty five million pound, and then they would only they would only sell Brewster if. They, they could have written into the deal that you know a buyback clause that you know could become active at I don't know probably two years time um, to buy him back for say thirty million. So um, and you know I, I I wonder whether that you know that kind of offer would actually will actually be forthcoming. But I think even the fact that Liverpool would would think about something like that shows that um, you know they they are keen to to generate funds that can be used. In, uh, to, to bolster the squad in other areas because um, you know for me they you know I, I know Klopp kind of sidestepped it last week in his press conference when he was asked about um, needing another, another centre half and he you know he talked about how you know Fabino can play there and of course he's been really impressed by a young Billy Cometio in pre season but I, I don't see how you can go you know be really confident of a season this intense. Um, with only three senior centre backs, and and and, it, and also I think Saturday showed again when Fabino came on and and calmed things down as that midfield shield. Um, I don't want to see him playing centre back. I think he's too important in in midfield, and um, so that yeah, centre back is certainly one key area, and and then the other one for me is you know a wide attacker um, to to ease the burden on you know ideally a left sided one that, to ease the burden on Sadio Mane a bit, and then. You know, of course, you've got the, the the Thiago saga. You know, still rumbling on in the background. Um, but you know, I, again, as we've said previously, you know, my information is that, and you know, I don't think this has changed. That Liverpool would, would only be in the market for a centre midfielder if they were to lose one. And um, you know, s- certainly, you know, the way that Klopp spoke about Genie Wijnaldum on on Friday and. You, you look at how happy he looked in the the training pictures when Aldum after he'd got back to Melwood, he, you know, and, and the fact that Klopp picked him on the weekend, you know, none of that points to me that an exit is imminent for Wijnaldum. You Just clarified again. You mentioned it last week in terms of the amount of money the club think they've lost by this situation with the with the pandemic. What sort of figures go around it? In excess of a hundred million pounds, mm. I got told last week um, when I was doing a joint piece with Rafa Honigstein on just you know Rafa obviously wrote about how Klopp went about trying to retain the title at Dortmund and I tried to provide a bit of context in terms of pre-season and the, the circumstances going into this title defence. So um, yeah, that's you know that's the scale of the of the issue for for Liverpool. Of course, you know there's the the rebate to the TV companies, you know, there's the the massive hit that's been taken commercially uh, and sponsorship, and you know, but clearly the the biggest single um, issue for for the club is is the fact that they haven't had a single penny in in match day revenue since since the middle of March, and you know, when you think, I think, I think the the last set of accounts said that the the match day annual revenue was you know eighty four eighty five million quid, so. Um, yeah, no wonder Billy Hogan, when he you know, when he started in the job a couple of weeks ago, talked about how getting fans back into Anfield was his his absolute priority. Um, you know, and Liverpool had had hoped to have twelve and a half thousand in the ground for the for the visit of Sheffield United towards the back end of October, but um, you know, with the with the virus rates 
creeping worryingly up on Merseyside and and the and then the situation nationally not looking too great at the moment either. I think you know those plans are in in severe jeopardy again now. Yeah, I know you could say it's the same for everyone, Simon. But uh, how much of this Liverpool team affected by the lack of a crowd at, at Anfield? I mean, it it is a very special weapon when it's there. Mm. I mean, I, I think. I think they do. It does have an impact, really. I mean, I couldn't help but watch the game on Saturday and, and wonder, and wonder what the atmosphere would have been like, you know, with with, with a performance and drama like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I I I, I sort of I, I I I've mentioned this before. I mean, I I I think that particularly away games, Liverpool might find it a bit harder in in a strange way. Um, it depends how teams feel about like attacking Liverpool, whether they, they sort of take a bit of confidence from what Leeds did and, and try and have a go themselves. My, my, my concern is is when is when a team tries to organise itself and and finds itself in more of a uh, more of a rhythm because there, there's not that demand, you know, for from the home fans for them to get forward. We've seen it happen at Everton and, and Arsenal on a couple of occasions. You know, fixtures where, you know, Liverpool, you know, you'd, you'd expect them to be getting some points out of it. I think Liverpool found those games harder. Possibly, uh, for, for the, there was context around that. Obviously, Liverpool just won the league. You know, it was the first game back when they played Everton. But it just felt like that, that those teams were able to play more defensively against Liverpool because there wasn't the crowd there urging them on, get, not getting frustrated with the, with it when there's sideways passes and just sort of conservative style football. So I think that's something that Liverpool need to <clears throat> need to think about a little bit. And it's it's going to be you know, a different challenge this season. It sort of adds to what we spoke about before about the challenge of retaining the title. It's a totally different challenge because of that. Um, but, you know, Liverpool have still got the players at the top end of the pitch who, if they perform, uh, are very, very hard to stop. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I've, got, I've got to be honest. I mean, I, I, I do feel a sense of sort of sadness around it all because, you know, being at the match is, is sort of what football's all about. And I know Stuart James wrote a piece in, on The Athletic this this weekend about like sort of not being at the matches and it, it doesn't quite feel the same, but I, I obviously understand that the, the need to, for, it to, for it to carry on because it's just going to lead to a, an awful lot more hardship for, for people who work in football, it provides a lot of em- employment for people, including including ourselves, you know, if, if, if there wasn't any football to be played. So hopefully they'll find a solution soon enough to get to get people back. But I think it's going to be, you know, a medium term job. This, I can't see it sort of being resolved in the next sort of couple of months, really. I know that's the ambition amongst football clubs, but the way it's going, I think that's it. That's going to be a big ask. Yeah, it's quite a way down the line, isn't it? Uh, let's just quickly go back to transfers. Liverpool have been in the market. Young keeper uh, by the name of Marcelo Pitaluga from Fluminese. So initial deal in the region of a million pounds. Uh, just give us some context, James, on how the deal's come about. Alisson's got a bit of personal knowledge of him. Yes, yeah. He, um, Peter Luger comes from the same club as uh, Alisson's brother, Muriel, in uh, in Brazil. I think he'd, he'd been on Liverpool's radar since playing for... He was certainly in the Brazil squad that won the Under-17 World Cup uh, in his homeland last November. So, um, yeah, about kind of nine, ten months, they've been tracking him, um, done a lot of homework on him. Um, you know, John Achterberg, the, the long-serving goalie coach, he does a lot of the, um, you know, puts the hard yards in on on all goalkeeper recruitment in terms of studying as much footage as possible and, um, you know, doing character and background checks and 
both Muriel and Alison, who has met him previously, were um, very, very complimentary about you know his character and also his his qualities as a goalie. And I think um, you know it's, I think it's about seven hundred grand Liverpool have had to play up front with you know could rise to about one point eight million if various add-ons are, are met. But um, yeah, the I think the fact his club in Brazil pretty severe financial problems and, and the fact he's got a, a German passport made um, made the deal quite an easy one to for Michael Edwards to to thrash out so I think I think we'll see him this season kind of dividing his time between Melwood and Kirby obviously he's gonna he's, he's one for the, the the longer term um probably gonna get game time with the under 23s but I know Liverpool are keen for him to at least spend part of the week training with Allison because um you know, I think obviously there's no one, no one better in world football to be to be learning your trade from than the, the Liverpool number one. Absolutely, one for the future, perhaps. Right, uh, if you head on to the Athletic now, you'll find a brilliant article written by Simon about William Spearman, uh, a name that perhaps most Liverpool fans hadn't heard of until Simon wrote about him. He's the secret weapon, um, but why is he the secret weapon? What does he do behind the scenes, Si? Well, he's he's sort of heads the the research team. Uh, he's, he's essentially a, a computer programmer who had previously worked for a company called Huddle, which which provided a lot of programs for for different sports franchises across America. And um, I think twenty fifteen sixteen devised this model, which which essentially allowed a club or whoever was using the model to to predict pitch control uh, I know it sounds pretty scientific perhaps but it's it's you know he's essentially a computer programmer who sets up a lot of the models which the data analysts at Liverpool are then able to to extract information which is then fed into Jurgen Klopp so he's he's right at the start of sort of the the the, the data science sort of revolution really which which has been taking place at Liverpool for quite a long time now but he's pretty significant significant figure really because although he, you know he professes that, that that sort of he has not much background in football he sort of became interested after he left university in football the groundbreaking sort of models that he creates help provide the platform for Liverpool to make certain judgments about what happens on the pitch and what what um you know what they can do in the transfer markets as well because he's he's pretty well involved with the with the scouts you know in terms of looking at players that they might want to sign and, and try and really get to the bottom of which which players are capable of doing what so it's a it's quite an interesting job a bit of a shadowy job you know people at Melwood sort of know him know him but don't know always know exactly what he does and I just thought it was worth worth sort of explaining his presence there you know he's a guy who come from a from a from a city that I'd never heard of actually in, in Texas uh, called College Station and you know from a family of scientists who Liverpool headhunted in 2017 he's been at the club for three years now and quite a lot of the stuff that he's pioneered quietly I've, I've helped the team on the pitch in some small way so yeah I hope uh, people sort of gain, gains a bit of awareness for, for who he is and what he's doing it's great that he works in the shadows he's a mysterious figure inside but like you see <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> the piece gives a little bit of context as to how far technology's come Si though doesn't it and the, you've put a great line in here you're talking about how he's developed a model that means Liverpool's analysts can estimate the probability of a goal being scored from anywhere on the pitch within 15 seconds. It's, it's remarkable, isn't it, how the how the game's gone? Well, I I've got to be honest. I mean, I was I was very cynical around the use of data and stats when this all started because I I sort of felt felt you know from what I was reading and hearing that 
you know, that there was too much statistical information being used as, as, as conclusions when, you know, data for me forms the basis of an argument, doesn't it? Because, uh, you know, the, 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 there's, there's all sorts of different ways of looking at it, expertise that, that, that come into it. So I, I've always been a bit of a cynic about it, I've got to be honest. But obviously when, when you listen to people at Liverpool uh, talk about William Spearman and, and, and sort of the background and the context around um, around why he's there, you, you realise that, you know, that obviously he has his place to play, but it makes sense at Liverpool because, well, they've got world-class players and a world-class manager as well. You know, the, 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 that's just... Well, it's still still massively important the role of the manager. I know Jurgen Klopp will 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 lay a credit across the data analysts who who help him out. You know, with, with, with information that that he he isn't isn't capable of of getting. You know, at half time, and he's he's been very very sort of loud about his, his appreciation of that. But I still why I think it works at Liverpool is you know there's a mix of all that. There's a mix of the signs. There's a mix of sort of the gut instincts of a manager who knows who knows his business. Um, and it's all clicking at the moment. I would hope that you know that, that the system that they've got would work under a different manager as well. I think that's going to be the big challenge when somebody else comes in, uh, because I, I still think at Liverpool, you know, the cult of the manager uh, is 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 sort of enormous, and it's it's almost where it began. When you think about Bill Shankly, really, you know how important the manager is, and Jurgen Klopp's fingerprints are still all over the club, but he still gets great support from people who are doing things that maybe other clubs aren't being listened to. I know listening to people that, that, that you know that there's a lot of respect at Liverpool for the people who do similar jobs at Arsenal, but you know that, that their work has maybe been undermined a little bit by all the change that's gone on at the club. So I think at Liverpool at the moment, you know, the balance is right between the the, the people who 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 are like the, the you know the scientists and, and, and the football people and that's why we're seeing success on the pitch. Now, this is the uh, Red Agenda podcast. Thanks for listening, as always. Wouldn't it be great if every clothing store you shopped at had only your size, the styles you like, and everything at a price you want? Uh, Well, Stitch Fix is a company focused on doing just that. It's an online personal styling company, and it makes getting the clothes you love simple. It's a completely different way to shop, and it's all about you. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk slash agenda and set up your profile, and they'll deliver great looks personalised for yourself. You pay a tenner. That's a styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards anything you keep. Schedule at any time, no subscription. Delivery and returns completely free and easy, so you can always send back items that aren't right for you. Get started with uh, Stitch Fix today. Go to stitchfix.co.uk slash agenda right now and make sure you use our show name to support the podcast. Finally, on the red agenda, let's look ahead to Chelsea uh, versus Liverpool. Again, a, t- a tasty one, isn't it? Next test at Stamford Bridge. For them, it was all about the youth last season with the transfer ban in place. Now the tables have turned. Um, they've spent a lot. Kai Havertz, 72 million. Timo Werner, 47 million. Ben Chilwell, 45 million. Hakim Ziyech, 36 million. They've not been shy with the checkbook, James. <laughs> they, they certainly haven't. Yeah, they... Um... Certainly operating in a very different world to, to Liverpool this summer. Um, you know, I think there, there were kind of explanations there for it, aren't they? In terms of you know they, they couldn't spend for a while because of that transfer ban. Of course, they sold Hazard and, and Morata, uh, and, I, and I think also you know Abramovich is, uh, seems to seems to be keen to have a, have another go, having just at a time when it looked like he was maybe losing losing a bit of interest in. 
in in you know really really trying to get the club back to the the top again. So I think Chelsea are going to be one of the most intriguing teams to watch this season because I think um, you know Klopp touched upon it last week when he was when he was asked about Liverpool's lack of business and and he said you know it's all well and good going out and signing four five six you know top players he said but you know the the challenge is then to to bed them in and gel and 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 make them into one cohesive unit and um and and there's there's also no doubt that spending all that money you know on the one hand is you know I'm sure Lampard's delighted he's been back to the hilt with those deals but it it, it doesn't half crank up the pressure on him as well because um if Chelsea don't start well um you know that there there is going to be a big focus on them because it was it was almost a free pass for him last season with you know not being able to strengthen being told to to play young players um it's you know, it's a it's a very different setup this time around and and yeah, it's it, Liverpool are going to have to improve massively, um, you know, defensively and in terms of their shape and in terms of their work off the ball because um, you know they got away with it against Leeds. But when you when you've got players of the calibre of Havertz and, and Werner and Pulisic, who of course hurt Liverpool um, towards the back end of last season, it's um, it's you know it, it's a it's a really really t- tough examination uh, on the horizon. Yeah, and you probably expect them to settle in quickly as well. It was interesting watching Everton beat. Spurs and Carlo Ancelotti afterwards uh, when he was asked about James Rodriguez Alan and Decore and asked why they settled in so quickly he said well just good players know how to play they can hit the ground running side well definitely yeah but I mean I think the scale of what Chelsea have done is is, is even more dramatic than that isn't it really um, you know in terms of the number of players that they've signed I mean uh, when Chelsea <clears throat> came to Anfield at the end of last season I just you could see the gap between the two teams. I mean, Liverpool could have scored 8-9 that night. You know, Chelsea scored a couple of goals, but, uh, you know, Liverpool just looked the more, you know, just a far better team. And um, I th- I was quite interested to hear Frank Lampard's comments uh, th- this morning, actually. I mean, I think he's talking absolute rubbish, to tell you the truth, you know, saying that Liverpool have essentially done the same thing as what he's done when, you know, Liverpool, Liverpool have, have, have you know, it t- totally discounts the fact that Liverpool have had to, you know, that they had to sell their, their their total best player two or three years ago in Coutinho at the time. Uh, he, was, he was considered the best player. And then since then have overachieved despite having to sell, you know, by reaching two Champions League finals, winning the Premier League. Um, you know, they, 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 they'd certainly say that that first Champions League final was an overachievement. So that, that all obviously pays into, uh, explains why Liverpool have been able to spend money at certain times, you know, and that, that those players that Liverpool have signed, set, you know, four, five, six players have been done over a number of years, whereas he's obviously just done it in one summer. Yeah, I get the fact that, that he's, he's, he's sold Hazard and he's been sitting on that, that, that money this uh, for, for, for more than a year now. But, you know, if you actually look at the spending that they've done, it's quite clever accountancy work. There was an article on The Athletic a couple of weeks ago, the two Chelsea correspondents who explained how basically Chelsea is spending money now, knowing, taking a risk really, because they, they are some way behind, you know, it's an acknowledgement that they're some way behind Liverpool and Man City knowing that, you know, that maybe in a couple of years' time they won't be able to do the same thing again, really. So they, they need this to work. They need these players to work. And I'm sure they will because, you know, the the, the top-class players that they've signed. But I agree, I agree with James. I think that 
As as you know, nothing sacred at Chelsea, is it? You know, I think uh, we've seen managers who've won leagues there, and six months later get the sack, be under loads of pressure. So, you know, I, th- I think that you know Lampard's going to have to you know deliver results pretty quickly. So it's a big game for him this weekend. Really, really big game. I think Chelsea cannot afford to, to lose that game uh, at Stamford Bridge because obviously Liverpool went there last season and, and won in the league, and that was. I think that was the first sign for me that Liverpool were really, really, really going to be close to winning the league because I know, I know Chelsea had a, a couple of chances that day, but Liverpool didn't really get out to get into sort of one of the higher gears that they can get into. Um, I think it'll be a different challenge this time. But um, I'd always back Liverpool. I, th- I think, you know, what, what they've delivered when it's matters over the, over the last couple of seasons. And I think the focus will just be, I'm not saying that, that you know, obviously they knew what was coming with Leeds last weekend, but I just think they'll be a week further down the line in preparation and, and hopefully be better prepared for a team that, that hasn't really played that much together. James, confident? Um, yeah, yeah. I, still, I, I, I think what fills me with confidence is the fact that you know, I think usually when Klopp has got a decent amount of time to prepare a team, we tend to see the best of Liverpool. I think um, he'll he'll be delighted that there's no midweek distractions this time around. He's got a full week to prepare with his players on the training ground and to, and to work to put things right because... Um, yeah, I think the, the, the one concern has to be that the fact that you know the Liverpool, what was what was such a strength in the the first probably two thirds of last season, you know they they did get sloppy probably from kind of February onwards in terms of leaking goals and you know, and we've seen you know, a similar story in pre season then building into Leeds so that's that's the one big area this week that I'm sure he'll be devoting a huge amount of time to because um, you know Liverpool get that sorted then we know you know when you've got that front three that uh, you can go and do damage anywhere. And you know, Liverpool's record at Stamford Bridge under Klopp is, is pretty good. So uh, hopefully we'll be seeing more of the same. Nice one, James. Simon, thank you very much indeed. And thanks very much for listening to uh, The Red Agenda. We'll be back in a week's time. We'll be looking back on hopefully a positive result at Stamford Bridge. See you then. 